Welcome everyone to the Money Mentors podcast. My name is Glenn Fairburn. I'm here with my co-host Nathan Lear. We're proudly brought to you by Hewilson Private Wealth, who's one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. This week we'll be having a chat about a bit of an old age argument as to whether you should buy or rent your home. Uh, just to remember everyone that we're just having a general discussion and haven't taken into account your personal circumstances. So please seek independent advice um, to get information specific to your situation. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Money Mentors podcast. Today, Glenn and I would like to have a discussion with regards to whether to rent your property where you want to live or whether you want to want to buy. So uh, obviously in Australia over the last 10 or 20 years with, with strongly rising property prices, uh, many, many people are faced with the decision, do they perhaps continue renting or do they take that plunge into the, into the property market and, and buy? And look, often with, uh, with property prices rising so much in recent times, saving a big enough deposit can be, can be a challenge within itself. So before we, we delve uh, deeper into this and, and I'll throw to Glenn, I thought I'd just go through the, some of the statistics in ter- terms of home ownership. So at the moment in, in Australia overall, the percentage of Australians that own their property outright, so with no, with no, no bank mortgage, is around 31%. Um, the percentage of people that have a property with a mortgage uh, is around 35%. And the percentage that are renters is around 31%. So probably the interesting, I mean, I can just say those numbers, roughly a third, a third, a third, I guess. But in terms of looking how it's changed over the past uh, 10 or so years, and sorry, these numbers that I just said were um, from the Australian Bureau of Statistics Census in 2016. But when we compare them, I found this interesting, to the 1991 figures, so obviously what's that 25 years or so ago the percentage of renters has significantly increased from it was around uh, i think it was around 20 26% so it's it's gone up and the percentage of people that own their own home outright has obviously at the same time gone down so that's probably to be expected isn't it with the um with house prices going up there's more no, renters yeah. less buyers or less owners I, I, would, I would think so it's probably in some ways correlated isn't it where people feel as though they're well, probably are being priced out of the market because we've had that, you know, significant growth in property values over the last, well, probably almost twenty years, mm. a bull market in property, um, and it'll probably be even further interesting to see what happens in the next ten years. Um, I mean, in in a lot of ways, we're, so I suppose, grown up with aspirations. Well, a lot of people have grown up with aspirations to own property. It's like the Australian dream, uh, whereas perhaps in a lot of other countries, whether it's Asia and and Europe. Home ownership probably isn't as high as what it is in Australia, maybe in, in, in the States. So you just wonder how that will evolve over time where people perhaps become more comfortable renting or just accept renting because perhaps you know, the location that they want to live in, which may be close to work, they may not be able to afford to buy a property outright. So yeah, I mean, it, there's probably no surprise really in the growth in the percentage of people renting compared to perhaps 10, 20 years ago. Um, even more interesting will be where that lies in future. And we've already seen that probably if we look in Melbourne, Sydney, a lot of other major capital cities around Australia, 
the high-rise living is becoming more popular. Um, I mean, we probably won't get into the discussion about demand versus supply, but you just wonder how that will evolve over time as well, with perhaps people um, living a more metro-type lifestyle where they accept perhaps to live in apartments as opposed to you know, the, the, the plot of land, the garden and so forth, how, how that evolves over time as well. Sure. I think l- later in the podcast, we'll have a, have a look at some of the, the benefits or pros and cons of perhaps buying or, or renting. But before we do that, I, I want to ask you a question. Often, this is a term that we hear a lot and, and sometimes I think it's a, a misunderstood term, but uh, renting is, is dead money. I wouldn't mind hearing your comments if someone said that to you. Yeah, I'm probably of the mindset that it depends on your situation. I think at the moment where interest rates are quite low um, and you compare that with perhaps, I'll, I'll take a step back. If, if you're looking at buying versus renting, the first thing I would talk to people about is, okay, if you want to buy that property or in, in a location that you want to live in, how much do you have to borrow and what will your interest cost be? And, and let's just say you've got to borrow a million dollars, interest rates are 5%, so you're paying $50,000 a year in interest. Um, compared to perhaps renting that property, and if, if we assume arguably you know, rental returns of 3.5%, then possibly... Could, could even be less perhaps. Could, could be yeah. less if, if yeah. in, in a property of that value, um, then your rent could be thirty to 35000 a mm. year. So purely from a cash flow perspective, yes, you could argue that is that rent money dead money because you're obviously forking out thirty, thirty-five thousand a year to live in that residence that you don't own. But on the flip side, could you also argue that paying fifty thousand dollars a year in interest is dead money? Well, not not interest repayments, and there'd be an interest component yeah, and a correct. high yeah. in the early years of but a I'm very just, high I'm proportion. Just, I'm just talking about if if oh, you have to borrow only. a million. Purely your interest, like just the interest, interest cost, just you. interest, okay. interest cost alone. Well, that fifty thousand yeah. a year, and you're not getting anywhere aside from the growth mm. in the property. That, that that that's a fair comment, and that's a point I was actually also going to make. Interest, if you say rent money is dead money, interest is also dead money. Correct. Like you pay that to the bank, and you don't see that again. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly right. So that that's I suppose the situation that I like to chat about, because in that example, take take away the potential growth in that property over a period of time. If you're looking at it purely from a cash flow perspective and, and you know, affordability, then in that example, it's cheaper to rent. And aside from that, you've also, you don't have to worry about rates, you don't have to worry about upkeep and maintenance of the property. So as you were saying, Nathan, you know, repayments, that's just 50,000 a year in interest. You, you're going to have principal Plus on more. top of that. Yeah. You're going to have rates, you're going to have maintenance. Um, so you are relying on growth in the value of the property in order to, suppose put you in a situation where you break even but for a lot of people who are perhaps looking at entering the market and cash flows tight i would argue that you know it can be more affordable to rent so long as perhaps you're saving the difference yeah that, that's the, the big point i was going to make and, and, and i'll define it as opportunity cost and in your example if you're your cash flow obligation in that in that example you mentioned is at least fifty thousand dollars in interest. So there's going to be more in terms of repayments. Mm. I know. Let's say it's sixty thousand dollars of total mortgage repayments, yeah. and the renting alternative might be three percent or thirty thousand dollars a year. Yeah. That's a potential if you can afford it. That's a potential thirty thousand dollar differential every right. year. Now that thirty thousand dollars, if you're smart with that and whatever you might do, whether you're invested and you know, get your compounding returns on it, 
that there's an opportunity cost there that that can be quite significant so yeah the fact that people just say rent money is dead money i think you have to kind of dig a bit deeper to understand it yeah and as i said the thing that renting doesn't that you don't benefit from as a renter is obviously the appreciation in the value of that property over time but arguably will you ever realize the increase in value if if you live in that property for your whole life you're never going to realize that asset so although it's increased in value unless you're downsizing Mm. are you ever going to be able to liquidate that in order to provide you with an asset that can provide you with that passive income comparing that to as you were saying renting spending the 30 35,000 a year but saving the rest then you're still building up an asset pool which at some point in the future can can help you you know generate that passive income um, whether it's retirement or pre-retirement whatever it may be so you know, it's not as clear cut as just saying, "Oh, rent money is dead money," mm. because as you made the point, paying interest is dead money as well. I mean, you're not getting anywhere. That that's the bank profiting from from your loan in that example. Mm. Um, so I think it's just important to work through the situation, looking at the property um, that you'd want to live in and perhaps buy. First, looking at the interest cost versus the rent, because quite often there can be a discrepancy. And from an affordability perspective, as I was saying, it can be cheaper to rent purely from a cash flow perspective. Okay, we might have a have a look at some of the the pros and cons of renting and buying because there's a few things to consider. If you are looking to to move move out or whatever, and and whether you buy or rent, there's a few things to work through. So we'll start with renting. So in terms of some of the benefits of renting, I'll, I'll kick it off, and and maybe you can jump into Glenn where you need to. But I think probably uh, freedom is is one thing. I mean, you've got the freedom to to live wherever you want. You might want to live, you know, in a city. You might live in the city, overseas, uh, overseas, um, and also further what we just said a, a moment ago. Um, you know, you, you might have a, a savings capacity. So, because you're not, I guess you don't have the big obligation of a mortgage. Yeah, so you might be able to, to big mortgage. you might be able to live a bit more comfortably. Mm. And you know, perhaps if you're younger, that might suit your objectives a little bit more. Yeah, definitely. And I suppose as I was saying, the other advantages purely from a cost perspective is that when you own your own home it's not just the loan repayments that you have to um, commit to it's also rates they're obviously very expensive with increasing asset values the cost of that has increased maintenance there's a number of things that i think people buy a property in year one they might sell it in year 10 they've you know it's increased in value but a lot of the time what people forget is what they've had to outlay in order to maintain that property value Property ownership is very expensive. So there are costs incurred in being a property owner that perhaps you wouldn't incur by being a renter. So, so we'll hold that thought for... We'll just have a think about renting for a second. So um, so some of the, the benefits of renting, probably the flexibility, freedom, live where you want, we just spoke about. At the same time, there's some, some downsides of renting. Yep. Um, so Glenn, I'll, I'll throw it over to you if you want to kick it off with some of the... What, what are some of, how would you answer what are some of the negatives of renting? Well, I suppose that the big negative if you're looking at the situation right now, if you've been renting for the last 10 years, when you've got a booming property market, you're not going to participate in that, yep, in yeah, that growth. Definitely. So I think that's probably the m- number one thing um, that if, if you make the assumption that property values will increase, mm-hmm. if it's at a greater rate than you know, perhaps what you would achieve by investing your capital... Um, I, I would suppose that would be the main thing that you miss out on. I think def- definitely. And, and, and second to that is uh, th- there's no forced... Sa- when you're a renter, you don't have that forced savings of if you own a property and you're paying a mortgage, 
you have to yeah. commit that money to the bank or to repay your mortgage. So it is a forced way of saving. If you're a renter, you do have that flexibility, but at the and same time, that can be a negative because you might definitely blow the money on silly for, things. For a lot of people, having a mortgage is motivation to put in place a, you know, a diligent savings plan, you, you could call it, or debt repayment strategy. So whereas if they didn't have it, they'd just spend the money. So you're right. I mean, I think having a mortgage for some people is just enables them to, to commit towards repaying it. It's a forced savings. Probably more of a lifestyle aspect, but you don't have the security when you're yeah. renting. You could easily get kicked out. So if you're you, know, you sign up for a one year a one year lease and that one year is up, and you know, the owner of that property might decide they want to sell it or, or find a new tenant, yeah. so you don't have that security. In particular, which is important later in life, I suppose you want the security where you know you're not going to be moving frequently. So I think that that that's definitely an important thing. So that's probably so renting some of the, the benefits and, and, and negatives of renting. So changing our attention towards if you wanted to buy or purchase a property, uh, we'll start with, with some of some of the benefits. I think we've already spoken about a few of these things already, but probably the big one I would say is just the um, the, the, the potential for, for price appreciation. Because generally speaking, if you buy a property, um, looking back through many years of data, it's a, it's a good performing asset class. And not trying to tie markets or forgetting about if markets are expensive at the moment. If you invest for long enough, you should you should take part in that appreciation is probably one point. And the second point um, is the, the the benefits of leverage. So quite often, people that, that buy a property will usually their first home, they'll borrow a fair chunk from the bank yeah. and banks are it's quite... It's a large asset, isn't it? Yeah, so it's banks are quite willing to lend mm-hmm. against property. So you do get that leverage benefit as well yeah and i suppose just on that the, the ability in that if you're in a situation where you progressively pay down your mortgage in the end you're left with a very um secure asset that then you can use to as you were saying leverage for investment purposes so obviously you benefit from the leverage as a property owner but also as you repay the principal against the loan that you've used it's not locked it's not locked away mm. you can use that to then secure borrowings for yeah other investment purposes, so perhaps another property or a share portfolio. So it just gives people, I think, that foundation sure. to really kickstart a very um, you know, successful wealth accumulation strategy. Mm. Like I said, or the opposite of the, like I said, with a renting example is it, it gives you the certainty. I mean, you've got that like, peace of mind. Yeah. You own this property. Nobody's going to boot you out provided Correct. you keep repaying the mortgage. Um, and, and also, you know, you can renovate it. You can... You know, you can hang up paintings and not have to worry about yeah, anyone telling a, you off for it. A lot of lifestyle flexibility and choice. Yeah, you, you can you can do what you want. And, and Glenn, how would you how would you answer the question? The, the the what are the downsides of perhaps buying a property? Yeah, I think as we we're talking about the downsides, obviously the the upkeep and maintenance. But I suppose one key um, downside or, or something to, that everyone would be aware of is just the upfront costs. Yes, yeah, to buy duty. a property, you've got stamp duty, mm. you've got legal costs. Know, multiple costs involved so to enter that market you're probably or well, you're already behind five percent before you get started quite mm. often yeah so, so I, was, I was thinking that would be probably one of the major disadvantages um in, in year one anyway yeah and there's no i mean people i said before if you invest for long enough it should go up but also bear in mind there's no guarantees generally it should go up but there's no guarantees in no. in, in this life that that the, the property will, will go up in value probably also another another risk if you do buy is interest rate movements could yeah. go against you i mean we all know at the moment we are in a very low interest rate cycle and, and if in- interest rates do move up sharply uh that that can affect your ability to make 
repayments as you want to. Definitely, and, and as a that that's a key one. I mean, as far as a disadvantage, in particular if you've borrowed to buy a property, it, it is a very large commitment. And if rates start to normalise and we get back up to where it has been traditionally, you know, six seven percent, that's it's not quite double where we are now. But for a lot of people who are sort of borderline with their repayments at the moment, um, you know, I think we would both be saying not to expect rates to you know home loan rates to stay sub four percent forever mm. and that's where it, there is a big risk because you are exposed to interest rate movements over that period of time it wasn't that long ago where we were getting close to double digit interest rates you know pre-gfc it's probably not going to get up there anytime soon but i think within any prudent um, debt repayment strategy or you know financial situation that you're in it's important to take into account the possibility of in- increasing interest rates mm. Well, we spoke quite a bit before about the the opportunity cost, and I think if you are a buyer and you do tie up a lot of your your wealth and um, I guess uh, your income in servicing the loan, there is an opportunity cost. I mean, let's say you buy that million dollar property in that example, um, you don't you don't if you think about investing anyway, you've got a million dollars tied up in one asset. Correct. Yeah. So you don't really have a lot of diversification. No. And there's also what you know what else you could be doing if you didn't do that buy that property a million dollar property what else could you be doing with either your money or your your savings capacity it's also the opportunity cost i think in compromising your lifestyle Mm. if we move away from the financial motivation of repaying debt i suppose purely from a lifestyle perspective as i was saying earlier you make that commitment to buy a property that's you know quite expensive you're borrowing a large amount of money comparing that to renting you're probably foregoing twenty thirty thousand dollars a year in cash flow which you know that's a big compromise with with you know with lifestyle as well mm. so you've got to be willing to accept those compromises i think when you're moving into home ownership what what would your advice be to any person let's just say they're a younger person perhaps looking to buy their first home and and you know they're in that that common position at the moment where they're they're either saving a deposit or or not quite where they are to buy that you know that dream home in the the desirable suburb um, what what would your I know it's a, this is a very broad question there could be a lot of detail but what, what would your advice be to that person what would be some key things you'd tell them to go away and, and focus on I think you'd have to, have to be looking at firstly what is the property going to cost so obviously purchase price stamp duty legals whatever it may be um, and then and then the next step would be okay how much do I need to borrow um, and what are the repayments applicable to that loan and how does that fit into my cash flow but if you're looking at I suppose the add-on to the repayments would be if rates do increase 2 3%, how does that then affect my budget? I think, so I think number one, it's looking, well, firstly, constructing a budget if you don't have one, but looking at how does that impact my cash flow in the event that I do proceed with a property purchase, but also having the right risk management in place so that if rates do increase, you're not having to cut back too significantly on your personal expenses. So a lot of it is really just working through your ingoings and, and possible outgoings as a result of that property purchase. So for the people that are frustrated like a lot of people trying to enter the property market at the moment, would you would you encourage them to keep renting or, or maybe look to go further out where you might yeah. be able to buy a more affordable property? That's I suppose what I was gonna bring up is do you think there's some there's a reality check for a lot of people? Like for young people looking to enter the property market is it, well, firstly, just unrealistic for them to expect to buy within 10 kilometers of the, of the CBD? 
Um, and is it important for them to perhaps, yeah, get a reality check and, and, and a compromise perhaps? And if they are hell-bent on buying a property, maybe they do have to consider it out of suburbs. Do you think that's that's yeah. realistic? Yeah, I think so. I mean, obviously everyone's different, but I think we've said this in, in previous podcasts, you know, perhaps gone to the days of the, you know, the quarter acre block in mm. 10Ks from the city, you know, four or five bedroom home to get what you want. You either might have to make a compromise and, and buy more of an apartment style property or move, I don't know, 40, 50K out where you can buy are, that house that correct. you want. I mean, the reality is there are affordable houses, but they're not 20Ks from the city. I think mm. that that's the reality. And and look, for a lot of people, they I could argue that they can't compromise that, whether they want to be close to home, whether it's a, sorry, close to family, where their support network is, close to work, whatever it may be. Um but I think just the blanket comment to say, look, housing isn't affordable, it, it, it depends. Like it's, it's probably not as clear cut as that. Yes, inner suburban housing in particular in Melbourne and city is very unaffordable. And for a lot of young people, it, they may never be able to enter that market. But we, we've spoken about perhaps, you know, if there is a interest in participating in the property market and buying your own home, maybe it's a stepping stone. Maybe it is, you know, in the outer suburbs for a period of time and then, slowly um as as you deleverage as you repay principal obviously the advantage of, of buying a, a cheaper property is that your loan's going to be less so your interest cost is going to be lower so you could pot- potentially repay that quicker and maybe just use that as a stepping stone so there, mm. there are alternative ways as opposed to just saying i'm never going to be able to buy a property and i'll rent forever there are alternatives and i mm. think people should perhaps look at those alternatives and, and not just um, turn a blind eye to perhaps buying a property um, in the outer suburbs. I think it's always a, a difficult decision when there's financial and lifestyle implications and you need to weigh them weigh them all up. Yeah. Because people they really want as you said, they really might want to live in that in that location that's that near their family because you know that's their support network. They yeah. might be having kids down the track, they want grandparents close and all of that. Um, but then if they can't afford it, they need to balance those those two things. Is that where the rent vesting argument might work? Where yeah. in order to just get into the property market, because most people, you know, the fear of missing out, they've seen the property market grow yeah. by record rates over the last 20 years. They think, I just want to get into the market. Maybe it is that you buy a property, you don't have to be 100 kilometers away from the city, but let's just say it's 35, 40 Ks away from the city. So you're in the market, so you can benefit from potential growth, but then you rent in an area closer to family. I think it's all just... There is going to be a lot of compromises going forward because property is expensive. Yes, there may be a downturn, but you know, no one knows what that will be. And we've been talking about property correction for, for 10 years and it hasn't happened. So I think people just have to, one, perhaps get a bit of a reality check, but also look at alternatives in order to get into the property market, but get the best of both worlds where you're living in an area that you want to live in, that you need to live in for that support network and being close to work and so forth. But having a property maybe in the outer suburbs so that you can progressively you know, have that stepping stone to an area that you want to live in. Yeah, I think rent vesting, I know you, you probably quickly kind of glossed over what, what that is, but I think if people are hell-bent on getting into the property market, it is a way where, yeah, as you as you said, they can, can purchase a property for a cheaper value. So that might mean moving out because they don't want to perhaps live in that area because yeah. they want to you know, be close to the city where they're working. They might still be young perhaps and want to be close to the action and then they can they can rent uh, in that location where they want to live and and generally at the moment because the way the market is and with rents are, rents haven't caught up with 
property no, values. No, no. So renting is a lot better value. It's probably a way to put it. So um, they can get a foothold in the market and that, so they feel like they're not missing out. Because I think one of the points I was going to make before is with property prices, especially in the last five to 10 years, growing or going up so much, there's definitely that, that FOMO or fear of missing out. Yeah, I think that's a that plays a big part for younger people. Yeah, because all they've I mean, for most people, probably the age of under the age of forty, all they've seen is a rising property market. Yeah, like people yeah. who haven't lived through the early nineties where we had a massive correction in the property market, high interest rates, they they just don't think that market that prices will ever go down. That's right, and hopefully, people don't just dive in because that's been their experience property never goes down which it doesn't over a long period of time but in the short term it can we all know that hopefully people don't um you know rush in rush don't do their full analysis and just rush into buying a property and overextend themselves and then interest rates might go up in the future then they could have a problem on their hands hopefully people you know take that take that time to make the right informed decision and that's where a big part of financial planning is yes investment yes it's superannuation wealth accumulation but risk management probably supersedes all of those because you can have in place, you know, the most lavish, you know, wealth accumulation strategy of all time. But if you can't work, if interest rates start to increase, that can really compromise your situation and put you in a situation perhaps where you are a forced seller. And we talk to our clients about this all the time, you know, as far as borrowing for any purchase, whether it's a property or an investment, it's a very effective strategy. But you need to put yourself in a position where you're never a forced seller. Because effectively, if you're buying a good quality asset and you're in a position where you can hold it long enough, um, the, the, the likelihood of losing out of that sort of strategy is very low. But where people fall over is where they're a forced seller. And sometimes worlds collide. You might buy a property or an investment property. Interest rates are low. The market's going well. You've got a good tenant. But if that flips around and, and you're without a tenant, interest rates are high and you're forced to sell and the market's down, that's where you can lose from that sort of strategy. So I think just the risk management side of things, if you're looking at buying a property um, as, a, as a residence, as, as we've been saying repeatedly, just factor in multiple increases in interest rates so you're very comfortable. And even if rates don't increase to 6 7%, if you're making the repayments at that level, then you're doing yourself a favor anyway because you're going to be repaying the principal at a more rapid rate. You're getting ahead and building in a buffer, aren't you? Absolutely. If you do that. Yeah. So what would you, what num- in terms of interest rates... We all know that at the moment the the cash rate's one point five percent, interest rates are anywhere from four to five percent. What advice would you give to people in terms of making a conservative assumption on rising interest rates, perhaps? I think all you can do is look at what it has been historically, and what would you say the average is? It must be close to seven percent, somewhere around six or seven percent. Maybe is probably a fair assumption to make. Mm. And as I said, the advantage is that if you even if you're doing six, if you're making repayments based on a six percent interest rate then you're putting yourself in a good position so that even if rates go to seven, you're giving yourself a really good head start because you've you know, made some fairly good inroads because it's unlikely that rates are going to go from where they are now to 7% in the next two to three years. It's very unlikely. It's possible, but mm. highly unlikely. So I think if you, you know, make inroads now while rates are very low, it's going to put you in a good position. So I think when you're looking at renting versus buying, maybe you've made the decision to buy, make sure you're factoring in not interest rates at four, but six and seven, because that's the risk you're going to be exposed to. I think the other thing I, I heard you say before was, um, or you didn't say it, but you're, I think you're in, alluding to it is uh, income protection insurance. So you never want to be a forced seller. So if you buy a property, 
um, and for whatever reason you might get sick or injured and you can't work. We've spoken about this quite a few times, but yeah, just have the appropriate income protection insurance. Yeah, definitely. I mean, risk manager, I was probably talking more about interest rates, but you're 100% right. There's there's multiple layers of that, isn't there? There's the interest rates, there's the insurance, so income protection, trauma insurance, all those sorts of things. So you're ticking all the boxes so you're never fully exposed to an event that you haven't planned for because that's where people lose out within any financial decision they make. Sure. Okay, Glenn, I think that's a, that's a good time to, to wrap up. So uh, just to, to summarize, we had a discussion around uh, the consideration with regards to whether to, to rent or buy, especially in Australia at the moment. It's, it is very topical with, with rising property prices over the past 10 or 20 years. Um, it is a lot harder for Australians to, to purchase property. So uh, the, the renting numbers have increased. Um, so we spoke about uh, some of the, the, the pros and cons, so to speak, of, of renting and buying. And, and obviously, uh, there's, there's many considerations, there's many financial and lifestyle considerations. Um, and also, you know, do, do your homework. Uh, as Glenn said before, risk management is, is really important. If you are going to buy a property, go into it really understanding any, any scenario that can happen. Uh, so, yeah, once again, thank you for listening to today's podcast and we look forward to having you with us next week. Thanks again, everyone, for listening to this week's podcast. We hope you found it informative. Uh, please remember, as always, to check out Hewlson Private Wealth's website at www.hewlson.com.au. You can also find us there via various social media platforms, so LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. Uh, please also reach out via our email, which is moneymentors at hewlson.com.au. We're always keen to hear your feedback. So finally, just... Hope that you can jump onto iTunes and rate us, leave a review and subscribe. Uh, So once again, thanks again for listening and we look forward to speaking to you all again next week.